the whole thing is like, we're different. Yeah. Like the odd couple. And our campuses are different. Uh, but we, we is, love each other and are working. How much time day. did you have? Did you, what were you doing after you told me that I was going to do this? Oh, you actually wanted me to write something up? <sighs> it's an idea. It's a concept. It's like your sermons. <laughs> <laughs> Who's supposed to answer this question? You first. Oh, okay. Natural. <laughs> that just feels natural. What was it natural? Until he hits record, and then I'm like, it's my name movie. is Johnny. I'm so glad to be your... What is this? Being in the presence of a genius. Something like that. Working with Johnny is like being in the presence of a genius. <laughs> this is not going to go well. <laughs> Working with Gary is a lot of fun, because uh, Gary and I see things differently almost all of the time. Uh, and... It has caused me to slow down, slow way down, and learn to appreciate, come on, learn to appreciate uh, somebody else's perspective. And uh, I've learned a lot from Gary. I've appreciated so much uh, Gary's wisdom, his passion for the kingdom of God, his passion for this church. And it really is a lot of fun for me to work. And what you guys might not know is this guy is wild and crazy, total goofball. So it's a lot of fun for me. Johnny is wired in such a way that uh, you just sort of ride the wave, and that is most of the time, uh, well, some of the time, very exhilarating. I think any team is going to have people who are different, who have different perspectives, different takes. Um, Like I said, Gary and I uh, have a lot of differences in the way we approach things, in our answers to questions and things like that, but it... If you allow it to, it will strengthen your team. It will actually help you come up with much more creative solutions to problems. It will help you approach situations with um, a fuller sense of reality. Uh, I can have a very narrow view of things, uh, I think that's fair to say. And Gary maybe takes a broader picture than that sometimes. And that is true across the staff. Um, A lot of people with different perspectives, I think, makes for a better working environment. I experienced uh, out of seminary what it was like to pastor a church uh, without a pastoral staff, so being a solo pastor. Um, And out of that experience, my appreciation for actually having different voices around the table to be able to, um, yeah, wrestle hard issues together, um, be able to be humbled, um, that's really important. Uh, and then ways in which energy is created in uh, surprising sort of spaces. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's the challenge, too. I mean, it's mm-hmm. both the, the blessing and the challenge of it. I think that same dynamic that we experience, like in a senior staff room, is one that I appreciate the complexity of uh, the model that we have. One church worshiping in two locations and the opportunities that we have to listen well that we wouldn't have uh, listen to um, folks who might worship at a different space on a Sunday morning, listen to what's significant at the bridge that uh, folks here might not realize um, and vice versa. I think it sharpens us. Absolutely. 
And I think there's a strength to doing things together. We're bigger together and we have more impact in the community. So when we have both campuses sharing mission together, sharing vision together, that allows us to multiply our impact in the neighborhoods that we find ourselves. And so uh, as different as these campuses are, and if you worship between them ever, you will feel the differences. They're pretty uh, profound, like the differences between us. Um, but it makes us better to be working together. We can multiply our efforts, multiply our impact. Um, and there is something that keeps us humble and realizing uh, that we're in this together. And that's so, so important. Oh, this will be so much better than my sermons. <laughs> Hope. <laughs> oh my. Well, I'm Johnny, and Pastor Gary really is that mean to me, but I love him anyway. Oh man. Uh, I'm so glad that you came out uh, to join us this morning. We are continuing our All In series. Like Pastor Beb said, if you have questions about what All In means, what are we going All In for? What is this All In talk? Maybe you weren't here last week for the joint service and haven't had a chance uh, to kind of get your head around it. Your workbook has quite a bit of information. If you don't have one of these, uh, if you didn't get one last week or get one today, uh, I believe they have some at this table uh, over by the wall over here, and you can talk, I think, to Angie Owen afterwards. Now you have to talk to Angie because I said it out loud from the platform. Uh, and she will get you a workbook. And this will have a lot of information about All In. It'll walk you through the next uh, four weeks that we have in this series. But I would also encourage you, like Bep did, to attend that um, vision uh, question and answer time next weekend. It'll be up in the balcony space right after service. Uh, and if you have the time, and there will be childcare, so if you have kiddos, uh, you can have them in childcare for longer. Uh, there'll be time to hear more about the vision, ask questions maybe, get some answers and things like that. So I would encourage you to engage, engage with this process. So seven years ago, <clears throat> my wife and I moved from Des Moines, which is where we had gone to college, uh, and we moved to Orange City, Iowa. Now, I know a lot of you are familiar with Orange City, but maybe not everybody in here is familiar with Orange City. That's okay. Uh, it's a very Dutch community. If you've ever been to Pella, uh, it's, it's a lot like that with more farmers. That's what Orange City is like. It's like Pella with more farmers. So that's kind of the vibe that that community has. It's a very, very uh, beautiful community. They have a strong sense of heritage. Uh, and one thing that is very true also about Orange City is that they have a very, very strong, very, very conservative political identity. Very strong, very conservative political identity. Now, I am not up here to comment on politics in the middle of a series where we're asking you for money, okay? Because I'm not stupid. I'm not doing that. Uh, this is just an illustration, so everybody just take a breath. It's going to be okay, all right? <clears throat> we moved to Orange City. Uh, and we get up there, we get situated, and you have to do all these little things when you move to a new place. You know this. You've bought a new house, you're moving to a new town. You got, you got to change your license, you got to change your address, you got to do all these little things, all these paperwork things. And one of the things that we ended up having to do was we had to go register to vote. And I remember looking at the voter registration and having a few thoughts. On the one hand, I thought I could go with the flow of Orange City and I could just register as a Republican. And that'll be that, and I'll just register as a Republican, and I'll just go with the flow. And then I thought, uh, you know, I have kind of a rebellious streak in me. I could do something totally different and register as a Democrat. And then if anybody could, like, pull that record out, they'd know. Johnny's a real rebel, right? He's a Democrat in Orange City. I thought I could do that instead. I could maybe register as a Democrat. And I thought about it some more, and I thought, you know what? 
I'm a, I'm a pretty independent guy. I'm going to be brave, and I'm going to register independent. <laughs> That's not brave, okay? Most people are registered independent in this country. Did you know that? That's the most common voter registration is independent. People <coughs> in this country love their independence. We live in a country and a society that loves the idea of individualism and independence. This is literally how we became a country in the first place, right? We signed a declaration of independence. This was the thing. And so uh, I love to say that I'm an independent person, but so do all of us. So how independent are we? But that was the thought that I had, uh, is that I'm going to be very independent. And as wonderful as independence is, as wonderful as individualism is, there are times and there are moments that require something else of us. They require something else. So this morning, uh, we're going to do things maybe a little different. (laughs) I apologize. Um, Than usual, we're going to jump around quite a bit in the book of Nehemiah. So we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah. It'll all be up on the screens this morning. We're going to move around kind of throughout the story, and we're going to look at the story of Nehemiah. So let's uh, let's dig into that with Nehemiah chapter 1, and we're going to start with verses 1 through 5. These are the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. I'm glad he was Nehemiah, not Hakaliah. That'd be a harder book of the Bible. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, uh, but they are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and fasted and prayed before the Lord God of heaven. So the story of Nehemiah here opens up with a good news, bad news situation for the people of Israel. Uh, Nehemiah was working for the king of Babylon when he's visited by his brother. His brother comes to visit. His brother had gone back to Jerusalem. He was part of what is called the remnant. And so his brother had gone back to Jerusalem, and now he was visiting Nehemiah to give some news. And so he starts, first of all, with the good news. The good news is that the Jewish people who had been exiled from their homes in Jerusalem when the land was conquered by the Babylonian Empire were getting to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild their lives. But we can't miss that this is good news. This is a good news situation for the people of Israel. They have been now living in Babylon, what what they called the exile, for 50 years. People have died, uh, children have been born, and all of it has happened while these people were in exile. And now, after 50 years, something has changed politically, and they are now able to go back to their homes, their homeland, to Jerusalem, this city that fell, that they used to possess and live in. They are going back there to rebuild their homes, rebuild their lives. This is a happy occasion for God's people to be able to do that. This is called the remnant, and they are returning. No matter how much time went by for the Israelites in Babylon, they never ever lost hope that they could return to Jerusalem and return to their lives, and now it was happening. But then Nehemiah's brother gives him the bad news. Even though people were returning, the walls and gates of Jerusalem were in shambles. The the situation was dire. Without uh, the walls and the gates, they were left defenseless from the people around them who might have had bad intentions against them. And so uh, they are feeling the pinch. The town and all of the people in it were completely exposed to outside threats. 
And so even as they were rebuilding their houses, as they were rebuilding their gardens, they were rebuilding all of this, it was, it was in danger. Even as they were rebuilding it, it was in danger of being destroyed again. They uh, were defenseless in the face of their enemies. And so it says, Nehemiah sits down and weeps. Then he takes time to fast and pray and seek God. Nehemiah hears this news. He sits down, he cries, he fasts and he prays. And now he's going to make a plan for what to do about the situation. <clears throat> so we're now in Nehemiah chapter two, verses one through six, and then down to verse eight. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th years of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought forth for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. So Nehemiah works for the king. He's the cupbearer. This is his job to bring the wine to the king. So he's doing his job. This is the king of Babylon. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruin and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So Nehemiah comes up with a plan to go back to Jerusalem and, and figure out how to rebuild the wall. But first, he has to get the king's approval. He works for the king. The king is still uh, technically the ruler of the whole Jerusalem area. So Nehemiah can't do anything without approval. So he gets the king's approval. He talks to the king, gets the whole situation squared away. And then he goes back to Jerusalem to investigate the scope of the damages to the wall. So we're going to pick up in verse uh, 11 here. <coughs> Excuse me. I went to Jerusalem and after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one that I was riding on. So at this point in the story, Nehemiah has been working as an independent operator. At this point in the story, Nehemiah has been doing kind of all of these steps along the way by himself. Yeah, he had to get permission from the king to go to Jerusalem, but the whole planning process was independent, right? He fasted, he prayed, he went to God, and he got the plan that was by himself. The trip to Jerusalem was independent, and now we find that Nehemiah is going on a midnight horse ride around the walls, and it was done, he says, without letting anyone else know what was happening. Nehemiah is an independent operator at this point in the story. This is the story of rugged individualism. Uh, that has gotten him this far. I think that's, that's a story that those of us who grew up in a society that values independence and individualism resonates with. The story of Nehemiah resonates with us because it's the story of a rugged individual, a guy who saw a problem, knew something needed to be done, and took action to fix it. He is doing this. It's easy for me to conjure up an image of Nehemiah as a man on a mission, a man with a fire in his eye, he knows what needs to be done. He knows he's the man to do it. He knows that he'll do it even if it means climbing around in the ductwork of his wife's office building to rescue her from the terrorists. Wait, 
Kevin, I think I'm thinking of Bruce Willis in Die Hard. This is my mental image of Nehemiah right here, okay? Really, though, we live in a society that values this kind of story. It's a Christmas movie, and we love it. Um, We value this kind of story. Uh, We value individualism and independence. And so inevitably, we view our faith, we view our relationship with Jesus in these same same ways. We view it as an individual thing. And the truth is, there is much of our faith that is individual. My favorite theologian, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, wrote that through the call of Jesus, people become individuals. Every person is called separately and must follow alone. This is the story of individualism. This is the story of being independent. We are called alone. We all must alone make a profession and make a decision to follow Jesus. No one can answer the call of God for us. Each of us has to answer the call of God alone. No one can respond to God's movement in your life for you. You have to respond to it by yourself. But as Nehemiah realized, that's only half of the story. Certainly, we answer the call as individuals and pursue God's calling on our lives as individuals. But in order to join with the work of God's kingdom, we have to join with others. Remember, even Bruce had the walkie-talkie with the police officer outside. No? Okay. Look, we have to do it together. We have to join in with others. So Nehemiah finishes his recon work. He finishes his solo portion of the mission, and then he calls the officials of Jerusalem together for a meeting, and that we find in chapter 2, verse 17. Nehemiah has called the officials together. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. For all of Nehemiah's individualism and independence, there comes a time when it takes the whole community of God to do the work that has been placed in front of them. There comes a time where we, even in our call as individuals, have to come together because the work of God is such that we can't do it alone. We're not built to do it alone. The work is too big, too great for us to do it alone. And Nehemiah realizes that. He has a plan. He has the hand of God on him. And yet he knows I now have to go to the officials and convince them of the importance of this because I can't rebuild a wall by myself. The work is too great to do alone. It would require the people of Jerusalem all setting aside their agendas and their own projects in order to join in the work. Nehemiah couldn't do it alone. They had to do it together. All of these people had their own homes and their own gardens to rebuild. They had their own stuff going on. There are always a hundred other things going on, a hundred other projects vying for our attention. We know very uh, acutely that there are only 24 hours in a day and only seven days in a week, and there's always enough to fill all of it. But sometimes there comes a moment when the work requires that everyone gets pointed in the same direction at the same time. And that's exactly what happens in the story. 
We're not going to read all of chapter 3, but I would encourage you, uh, when you get home, do it, and do it out loud so you can realize how difficult these names are to say, okay? But read all of chapter 3, because chapter 3 is like Nehemiah's shout-out list. It's like the greatest Oscar acceptance speech ever. It's like Nehemiah is saying thank you, and here's all the people he's going to say thank you to. It's crazy. He lists everybody who works on this building project. And for some of the people, he even lists their profession, which I think is really helpful for us as we think about what this means for us today. So he says, you've got uh, Eliashib, the high priest, Hananiah, the perfume maker, Rephiah, ruler of half of Jerusalem, Uziel, which we thought about naming our son, but we went a different direction, uh, who was a goldsmith. A whole bunch of priests and temple servants are working in there. And there's even a guy named Shalom, who it says repaired a section of the wall with the help of his daughters. Now, <coughs> in these days, this kind of work was not usually done by daughters. And yet here is everybody. Shalom and his daughters are working together on a section of the wall. They all know that to get this done, it's going to take all of them. It's people from all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of skill levels, men and women working together. The building project got a whole bunch of people who don't seem to have anything in common to join together in a common cause for the sake of Jerusalem and for their sake of their neighbors. Not all of these people knew each other. I mean, Jerusalem was not a huge town, but there's no way that all of these people knew each other. They weren't all friends. Probably some of them weren't even friends at all. They were probably people with conflict between them. But they knew it was time to set aside the conflict. It was time to set aside the things that made them different. It was time to set aside the fact that they didn't know that much about each other and get on the same path. They were united in a common cause, all working for the same thing because they believed that God had called them all to something larger than themselves. And the result of that, you read chapter 3, you get the crazy names, you see all these people who are rebuilding the wall. The result of that is in chapter 6, verse 15, where it says, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. The wall that had been torn down, burned up, had been broken. 52 days is all it took for them to put that back together when they all saw the vision, when they all got on board together and all realized that to do the work of God would require them uniting themselves in purpose. And once they did that, they rebuilt it in 52 two days. I, I loved making the video that we showed today with Gary. There was probably like 10 more minutes of outtakes. I mean, there really was. It was just so much fun to make that video. And I think it was so much fun because it highlighted two things. First, it highlights that Gary and I are very, very different from one another. He, I mean, he's an introvert. I'm an extrovert. He's quiet. I'm loud. I mean, across the board, he's bald. I have beautiful hair. I mean, it's everywhere. <laughs> Guys, it's everywhere. <laughs> the difference is. But we're united. That's the, the other thing that it highlights. Even though we're so different, we are united in our mission together. Even though we lead campuses that are different from one another, even though our approaches are often different from one another, we both believe in what God is doing in, with, and through this church. We both believe in the mission that God has placed in front of us together. And I love that. I love working alongside people who maybe I'm not the same as, who maybe I have different views than, but we can get together because we believe in this cause. We're getting in the same direction. So my challenge for us today 
is that we would all pick up our hammer and nails and that we would all go to work with each other. And obviously, we're talking about this, obviously it can mean getting your workbook, doing the discussion guides, coming to church, engaging, going to the vision preview next weekend. It can mean all of that. I hope that it means all of that. That's beautiful. But it can also mean volunteering to host a trunk at Trunk or Treat. It can also mean joining the worship team or teaching in Kids Connection. It could mean inviting a friend to join you for a worship service or bring a meal to the Freedom for Youth group that meets on Tuesday nights right up here in our church. It could mean all of those things, whatever it is, whatever that thing is, that hammer and nail thing is, as we get on mission together. It's about choosing to invest in the work that God is doing at Meredith Drive and the Bridge. It's about saying, I do believe, I am all in for this church and what this church is doing. And it will look different for all of us. Everybody had to go repair their own section of the wall. Everybody had to go do their own piece of it, but they were still doing it all together. What we do might look different from each other. What we can give might look different from each other. But what we're saying is, I am all in on what God is doing at this church. Not because... I asked you to, or because you have to do it, but because you see the impact that is being made. You've witnessed firsthand the way that God is using this church in our communities to love and share his love with others. And we realize that the only way to continue doing that is when we do it together. We need you and your engagement to continue to make that work happen. I am excited to see the ways that God will continue to use our church for the sake of his kingdom. I'm excited to see what happens with All In, and I'm excited to be here in five years and see what kind of crazy things God has us doing then. Because I really do believe that God is calling us all to something that is so much bigger than ourselves, and if we get going in the same direction, we can do it alongside God. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would fill us with the same sense that the uh, officials of Jerusalem had when Nehemiah talked to them. God, that there's something big that you've set in front of us. Your, Your work that you've called us to engage for the sake of the kingdom and that we would raise our hand and say, yes, I will get involved in that regardless of our background, our skill level, our financial resources that we have on hand, regardless of all of that, God, that we would go stand in our place on the wall because we know that you have called us to this work. So I pray, God, uh, as, as we sing this final song, as we get prepared to go back out into our week, that you would fill us up with a sense of what you are doing here at this church, God, Not so that we can have the best church in town, God, but so that we can have the greatest impact in our community. That's my prayer. That's my prayer, God. God, we love you so much, and we are privileged uh, to join together in worship of you this morning. I pray all this in your name. Amen.